Hi, everybody. Billy Holting here. Thanks for tuning in. This is our 14th episode, and we welcome sax and woodwind player Doug Webb. Doug is one of the most sought-after jazz sax players in Los Angeles and a really interesting guy. His credits include such diverse artists as Horace Silver and Freddie Hubbard to Rod Stewart and Queen Latifah. We talk about a lot of things, including the state of jazz today and more. We also have an amazing piece of music to play from composer Lad McIntosh, which features Doug playing 50 of the woodwind instruments from his collection of over 1,000. Check out the show notes of the links we talk about. As always, the Jazz Roundtable is recorded in front of a live internet audience. I've edited a bit from the original, but all the good stuff is here from the live show. These shows are free, but if you'd like to leave us a little something in the tip jar, please go to live at 0bpm.com slash tip jar. And note, live at 0bpm.com is spelled live, A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M.com. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. We always love it if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us spread the word. I want to make this show better. You can help. Please feel free to send ideas to podcast at live at zero bpm.com. Thank you and have fun listening. Welcome to the Jazz Roundtable brought to you by Live at Zero BPM with your host, Grammy Award winning percussionist and mallet player, Billy Holting. Tonight's guest... Doug Webb. If you care to donate, click on the donate slash tip jar link in the description or on our website at live at zero bpm.com slash tip jar. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. And now let's get to the music with your host, Billy Halting. Hey, everybody out there in uh, internet land. We're back again. Welcome to another Jazz Roundtable tonight. I'm really excited. My buddy, Doug Webb, who is seriously one of the best jazz sax players here in Los Angeles, is with us. And we're going to have a pretty casual conversation. We're going to talk about, uh, of course, his origin stories, uh, the you know the state of jazz in Los Angeles, about a new recording out today that we're all very excited about, and more. But let me uh, pull up Doug on the old screen there. Oh, before I do that, uh, so we are 100% tip-based. I'll put some links up in the chat rooms on Facebook. Facebook and uh, Twitch and YouTube. If you want to help us out, that'd be great. And also, if you're there, like and share the video. Even if you are watching an archive, you can like, you can share, you can send in tips and all that stuff. But enough of that. Let's get on to Doug Webb. How are you, Doug? I'm great. Hey, so good to have you here. Good to be so, here. Yeah, and and, uh, and apparently you're a sax player, according to the guy who's just talking. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, Sometimes. Gonna, we've got one really amazing video that we're going to play a little bit later. But right now, you know, this is Doug Webb. And uh, Doug, let's just get, jump right into it. What, how did you get started in music? What was your, what, what drew you in? My mom was a piano teacher and she started me on piano lessons. I think I might have been five or four. And then mm -hmm. uh, when I was about um, third grade, I guess, how old, however old that was, I played clarinet for like third, fourth, fifth. And I switched to sax. About my sophomore year in high school, and then I, I was sometime during my junior year that I realized that I didn't want to be a scientist like my father and grandfather, and I thought I'll be a musician, and it wasn't uh, received very well. That uh, the thought of that was kind of like not real popular in my family. But well, how how old were you when you made that decision? About fifteen, okay. sixteen. I guess I was fifteen. Yeah, just before I turned sixteen. Yeah, and then, uh, but then you went to college. We went to Berkeley for music. Yeah, well, I dropped out of high school my senior year. I mean, I had enough credits to graduate, mm -hmm. and I went to Golden West College and Orange Coast College, and I played in a lot of big bands, and, I, and there I met uh, 
you know, Andy Martin and Ron Stout and a lot of guys wow. I still play with today. That's great. Um, <laughs> and then I did that I, for about a year and a half. And then I, and then I went to Berkeley uh, in uh, January of 79. Oh, cool. Cool. So you graduated. Well, okay. So, and then uh, now did, when you were young getting into it, were you right into jazz? Were you playing classical clarinet? What were your, what was your, what were you doing? I just put clarinet in band. I never was really that good. I never practiced. I never, it was real easy for me. So I never, but I never really practiced. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this music. So then I started, I got, I kind of went about face and started practicing a lot. And I pra- basically just practiced. By that time I was playing mostly tenor sax and I started practicing a lot. And then I, I just did, in about two years, I, I went from, you know, like practicing n- nothing to about five hours a day. And then I practiced like my senior year in high school, I pr- probably practiced about eight to 10 hours a day. Wow. And then I remember the summer after my senior year in high school, I practiced like 14 hours a day until the month of August. And then I, pra- I practiced 16 hours a day for 31 <laughs> straight days. Wow. And I was like, man, I had so many, ch- I had, my chops were better then. Yeah. I just practiced everything slow and just, I mean, it was, it was amazing what, how, much, how much better you can get in three months. Wow, yeah, if you're putting in 16 hours a day. Yeah, well, I mean, I just, it, you kind of had to work up to it. Yeah, I can and, imagine. It's, uh, yeah, that's all I ever did. Now, who were you listening to back then? What was your, who were your well, influences Well, I was practicing the all day long. I was just, I was just playing, but I'm, I, I really love Coltrane. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I mean, I was listening to you know, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. And then, um, yes, I thought, oh, wow, you know, yes, I had Yes, Fragile. You know, it's just vinyl records you have. And then uh, I had one Coltrane record, Alternate Takes on Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I remember I would, like, you know, smoke pot and listen to these, re- you know, records. And, I, and after a while, I would just listen to Coltrane and go, man, that's, there's something about that record that was just, I thought he was just better than all the other saxophone players, like by far. I mean, I, I kept trying to buy other sax players' records. Like, I bought a <laughs> bunch of Sonny Rollins and Joe Henderson. Just everybody that anybody ever said, I remember buying a Gato Barbieri record. And wow. Grover Washington. Every, I mean, they, they were all had something to offer. But to me, like Coltrane was just the most amazing thing. It was, it was almost like he found something secret to life uh-huh. uh, you know or, or it was just incredible to hear him now were you transcribing solos were you or, anything uh, yeah i mean i spent some time transcribing i mostly i just practiced and played mm-hmm. you know and then i would just i mean at, and then when i got to berkeley all they would do is play with every would, would just jam with guys all day long yeah oh that's great and how long did you go to berkeley i was there four years did the four I, years i graduated and then did you move back to la right away or uh, yeah i was i was supposed to go on the road with buddy rich and then buddy had a heart attack and oh. so i i was i didn't know what to do so i t- took a gig on a cruise ship and i did that for 16 weeks that's the longest i ever did anything <laughs> for and i basically the, the ship was going to do like three more weeks and then they were going to dry dock in Atlanta and mm-hmm. then not pay anybody. So I just said, well, f- screw this. And so I literally walked off the ship when it came to L.A. Oh, wow. And uh, Well, I mean, I told them I was going to do it, but <laughs> they can't really stop you. Right. They weren't but- even going to give me a plane ticket to come home. Really? I would have you know, done the last three weeks, <laughs> but wow. nope. And, you know. Anyway, that's, it wasn't the greatest paying gig in the world. That's crazy. But then you were in L.A. then at that point. Uh, yeah, I was in L.A. from that point on. And... Uh, you know, moved moved back to Orange County, and then I started uh, just you know going back, playing in big bands and 
you know, then I met various people and. Well, I have a list. It's just you, you, you're featured on a lot of recordings, and let me just name some of these artists: Horace Silver, Freddie Hubbard, Sal Marquez, Stanley Clark, Brian Bromberg, Quincy Jones, Matt Marucci, Bobby Caldwell, Kyle Eastwood, and then a lot of pop recordings: Rod Stewart, Carly Simon, Art Garfunkel, Queen Latifah, and Cher. Now, were those just uh, called in for the session, or did you get to tour with anybody? Or uh, I toured with Rod Stewart a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was really, in, in fact, that's how I played with Queen Latifah and Cher because mm-hmm. they did duets with with. Ah, with Rod, I don't, I don't know who did that. I mean, I, I remember asking somebody did a, a bio for me and uh, Jimmy Cleveland's wife. One of the first gigs I had was Jimmy Cleveland. I was playing with, like a jazz uh, quintet or, or uh-huh. four horn band with Jimmy Cleveland, a trombone player. And I remember his wife got a resume for me, and and I put some. She said, "Well, who have you played with?" I said, "Well, I played with Herbie Hancock once." And she put down that I played with Herbie oh. Hancock, but Herbie <laughs> Hancock sat in. Gig I was doing, so I never worked with Herbie right. Hancock. I'm glad that that doesn't. But it's funny because sometimes you put something and it just follows you around forever. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I, I always joke around when somebody comes to sit in with the band. It's like, oh, I'm putting that on the resume. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, uh, so well, you're playing in L.A. and you're still pretty young. You're out of college. Are you playing in your own bands, just jamming with whoever? Or are you doing out doing I just gigs? Did what every gig I ever got called for. Mm. So you did everything. I did every gig. I, I figure big, I did a thousand gigs a year for thirty straight years. <laughs> well, that's a that's a, a lot. And I never said no to anything. Uh, I figure I have something to learn on any gig I'm doing. And if I absolutely don't have anything else to learn, then of course you learn humility. Yeah, that's great. Now, do you have a favorite gig you ever did, or some some notable ones that you liked that you like to talk about? Um. I, I I got to play with Freddie when he was literally the greatest, uh, you know, among the greatest jazz musicians of all time, playing at his peak, absolute peak. And at that time, I was uh, you know 27 and 28 years old, and I wasn't really able to enjoy it at the time because mm-hmm. I was basically scared to death the whole time. And Freddie didn't make it easy; didn't try to make you comfortable. He kind of really? you know, was that old school thing. Like he would, he would ask me if I knew a tune, and I, I would say yes, and then he would ask me four more. And as soon as I said no, that's the tune he would call. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, really old school. And he would even say, okay, uh, I, I, he said, I, me- I remember this. He goes, do you know Body and Soul? And I go, yeah, Fred. He goes, do you know Skylark? And I go, yeah. He goes, do you know Portrait of Jenny? I go, yeah, yeah, it's like Misty. He goes, well, do you know Misty? And I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, do you know Here's That Rainy Day? I go, yeah, do you do it in G? He goes, do you know the things we did last summer? I go, no, no, Freddie, I I don't know that tune. So he goes, oh, he didn't say anything. And then we finished the the tune up, you know, this was during the piano or the bass solo or something. Of course, it was during the bass solo because that's why we were having a conversation. Right. But so, bum. And then he, he gets on the mic. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the first week I worked with him at Elario's in San Diego. And I was, we were there 14 days in a row. Uh-huh. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, we'd now like to feature our tenor player, Mr. Spud Webb. <laughs> Spud Webb at the time was, a, was a, right. like a five-foot two point guard from from the Atlanta Hawks. Right. Anyway, he goes, on the things we did last summer, three, four. And wow. I, I didn't, you know, and, and, and he's looking at me, he goes, 
Play your horn, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, but, you could say that. Okay. But that's what he said. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, oh, and then, oh, and he waited till I, I had a, I would, you'd have to get your own charts. He didn't even have a book. Wow. So we were playing Pensativa, and I got my, I got the, uh, I got a B flat chart on the tenor part. You know, you know, there's like a little counter line. Okay. And I had the tenor part. And most of the ch- parts I had were in concert because I learned to transpose really early. Mm-hmm. And, but, I had a tenor. I did have a tenor part on Pensativa, and during the rehearsal, he goes, "Man, c- can you play flute on um, Up Jump Spring?" And I go, "Yeah, Freddie, but I don't have a flute." He goes, "Well, can you get it?" I'm in. Sa- I lived in Orange County in, in Huntington Beach, so I literally drove home after the rehearsal from La Jolla <laughs> to Huntington Beach to get my flute, and the flute's sitting there. We never played Up Jump Spring, but he waited till we started to play Pensativa. Which is a hard tune. I mean, I don't care who you are. It's the, the changes are not easy. And, um, and I, my changes are, everything's transposed to B flat. So, but he, he waits till, the, till I start to play. I play a couple notes. And he goes, Bloop. And I go, uh, what? And he goes, Bloop. And I go, uh, what? And he goes, play the flute. And then the same uh, expletive <laughs> as last time. And I go, oh, okay. So I put the tenor down, pick up the flute. And I'm, I'm looking at a... Train, you know, A flat major seven, which is now G flat major seven. Mm-hmm. So transposing backwards was is, I mean, I could, you know, I, I don't know how I made it through the solo, <laughs> but needless to say, I wasn't at my best. Yeah, but but it, he was real competitive, and later I talked to him, and it's funny how you know you use emo, people use you know emo, don't talk about emotion and you know mm-hmm. people will meditate before they play and various things and right you know use various drugs. And, uh, you know, that perf- illegal performing enhancing substances, mm-hmm. I guess, is uh, right. know, what, they, what they call it. And, and it works for some people on, a, on some level until it doesn't. And, and um, you know, there's always some, you know, you want to just somehow get some kind of edge into your head. And Freddie would use anger. And he, he talked about that. He would get pissed off. And so he would find really? a way to get pissed at somebody. And, uh, and man, and he played great when he was mad. And I think everybody does. I mean, it's just most of us don't get mad. You know, we spend our our whole lives learning to control our anger. But if somebody ever just really pisses you off and then you go to play, you're just like, you know, I mean, you really, it really can uh, be a good, uh, I guess, drug. You know, that whatever that the whatever goes off, whatever hormones and endorphins, whatever the combination of things that are happening in your brain when you're angry is can be really good for playing music. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's a great story. Uh, do you have anybody anybody else you have a great story about? Nope. Nope, that's it. Okay, thank you, <laughs> everybody. It. We'll see you and next bye. week. And, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, how about playing around? You know, I, I always want to ask somebody, what do you think the, the the state of jazz in L.A. is like these days? What's going on in L.A.? Oh, I think it's better jazz? than ever. There's yeah. so, I mean, uh, ever since they moved the, the monk school here, here from New York, mm-hmm. and now it's called the Hancock Institute. All these young players are just great. Yeah. Man, I played with, um, I've been playing with a great sax player, David Binney. Uh-huh. And we, we just played last Saturday, and we have a gig coming up uh, November 2nd at the Baked Potato. Uh-huh. Very cool. And actually, and he's been, uh, he's getting the, this band together, but I know the drummer's a guy from New York named Damian Reed, who I've yet to play with, but I understand he's just a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got two young bass players, Logan Kane and um, 
uh, Ethan Moffat. Mm. They're both incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of young players now are like better than ever. There's young, you know. I think I mean jazz is is great. I mean, you you don't have these old clubs where people play the same kind of standards that right. they always did. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there's no new Charlie O's or right. Chadneys, Dante's. Oh, I miss those places. Yeah, I miss them too. I but, mean, there, there's some things, but I mean, some of those, you know, that's still, I mean, I think Columbo's or whatever still has something like that, like an open mic. And Well, we have a, a young sax player that comes on the Thursday night shows named Nick Gomez, who is, to me, is just, it's really refreshing. He plays so well and he's very mature and, he's, and they're all young cats that play in the band. Uh, I, I met him through Michael O'Neill. Kind of, I don't know if he discovered them or whatever, but he comes and plays with these I've three young guys. I've never heard him. I'm sure I, yeah. I can't wait to. I can't wait to get a chance will, to play I'll, with them. I'll send you a link, and yeah, I've, I think you'd really like the way he plays. It's great. So that's it is encouraging, you know, because I always worry sometimes that the jazz musicians are just are just aging out. <laughs> What's going to happen? No, but it's I nice. I think it's better than ever. I mean, I mean, it changes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a while, um, you had guys complaining about like the people that would play out. Mm -hmm. You know, like like Connie Condoli said, man, when all these guys that you know came out, like Archie Shep and Marion Brown, I mean, he thought jazz was over, was dead. Wow. And uh, it's funny, but but um, it's hard, it's hard to really, really. I mean, like I I like and respect a lot of people, but it's hard to really listen to somebody that's younger than you and have them become like a uh, an influence. It, it it just kind of is. Yeah. Um, like I mean, I I don't listen to. Uh, I mean, there's the, probably the the sax players that are just a little bit younger than me, like Mark Turner and 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 Chris Potter, and mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. I mean, I I really love their playing. I mean, they're really really good, mm -hmm. but I don't think of them. You know, I don't like listen to them or, or want to transcribe their solos. It just makes me want to listen to the same people that I always already listened to, which was the right. people they listened to. Right. So it's it's kind of funny, but when, when you've when you establish for me, when once you establish your place in that lineage lineage of, of mm -hmm. um, you know saxophone players and kind of you know it has to do with you know like when you came up and when you were listening, and then all of a sudden to to I, I think you know Coltrane changed everything. You know, I don't think there's been a player like that because I mean. People like um, Frank Foster and James Moody went back and then heard this cat Coltrane mm -hmm. and then turned around and it completely changed their playing late in life. Wow. And I don't think there's been anybody like that, uh, I mean, since Coltrane. I don't think there really has been a, a sax player that's... Um, you know, that, to really change the direction of music. While we were setting up for tonight, we were talking about innovation, and you had a really great line about it. And uh, do you remember what we were talking about? Yeah, I, I I just said that some players that are that are kind of that, that really um, it's almost like they're deficient in some level, like they don't really understand. It's hard to really understand how to improvise through changes and really how to connect chord changes. Mm -hmm. And it seems like some players that don't really get that in a traditional way, but then they just practice so much, um, they, they become, you know, kind of a, find their own way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so their own people that find their own way of doing something um, become innovative. Like, I mean, well, I think like David Sanborn, I, I, somebody told me once that he, he, he would, he copped singers. 
Like he would he would literally play play along with Stevie Wonder and copy all those inflections of his singing, and um, you know, and other R and B singers. Mm -hmm. So you know, you can kind of hear that in his playing. But he didn't really have the vocabulary of other jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. You know, that coming out of Charlie Parker and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that really um, that can that kind of um, understand resolving seventh chords in a kind of more a little bit more of a um, academic way or, mm -hmm. or like a cerebral way you know it's more it's more like you know or mathematical it's not it's very very complex and uh you know to really understand how to play changes you kind of have to use both halves of your brain right it's kind of it's not just a it's not just play what you hear it's really you know a deep understanding of of how the chords work and how they sound and how different tensions sound on the you know different notes sound against the chord it's a uh, pretty complex, and so people, some people, great players, they n never get that, and so some of them end up being real great despite yeah. of that fact. And in fact, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a, a lot of. So, I can think of a few players that that maybe it, it doesn't appear to be easy for them. Some things, mm -hmm. but yet they're they're the most innovative. Like, you know, players like Sanborn. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, j just great. I mean, I mean, and he, I mean, there was a time when he was considered he was the guy. I mean, like you know, if they couldn't get Sanborn, they might call Michael Brecker, but I mean, he was you know absolutely the, the everybody's top player in the in the world. That's incredible, and and I, I think of them as such different players. <laughs> yeah. So well, they're both great. Yeah. Oh, because earlier we were talking about Ernie Watts, who has recorded here before, did one session here, and I just he just seems so original well, to I, me in his I, sounding. You know, from spending a lot of time with Ernie, mm -hmm. I know that when he plays, when he approaches changes very modally. Yeah. Um. So kind of like unlike Coltrane, who's more like re, you know reharmonizing, and and when 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 he plays all that stuff to him, it's um. Chromaticism, and I mean, he literally doesn't think about the, um, you know, advanced advanced harmonic things that, you know, Bre Michael Brecker and and, uh, but yet, I mean, certainly what he plays is amazing, and, yeah. and he's, you know, I mean, he could be the technically the best saxophone player. I mean, he's you 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 can't say anything about his saxophone playing. It's just amazing. Well, you know what? Maybe would you like to play a tune for us? Can you want we, to play? Why don't you play one by yourself? Let's do a just let's do a Doug Webb extravaganza. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
Well, the, the audience here loves it when you play. We're going to have to get you to do some more of that. But what, why don't you tell everybody the name of that tune? I uh, Have You Met Miss Jones. That's right. That's one of my personal favorites. I love that song. Uh, well, that was great, Doug. Uh, well, let's go on. And you were, uh, so did you do, how much touring have you done? Did you do with people? Well, I toured with Doc Severinsen. Oh, pull your mic in so we oh. can hear you. I, 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 sorry, I, I toured with Doc Severinsen a lot. Mm-hmm. For, uh, but it wasn't a lot. He would do about 10 days twice a year. Right. So, but I did that uh, for about 13 years. I toured with Rod Stewart a little bit. I, tour, I did a bunch of tours with Alphonse Mouzon, just with a trio. Wow. With bass and drums. And, and then I went out with Kyle Eastwood. I went to Europe with Kyle. Um, I, you know, I toured with Rod Stewart a little bit because I, I was really involved in his uh, Great American Songbook mm. uh, records. Yeah. Um, I did volume two, three, and five. So was that like a total white gloves tour compared to the, the jazz tours? or? Uh, yeah. You know, you had a really nice tour bus. <laughs> I'm sure. You had your own little booth with a, with a cable. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> little TV in there. And uh, yeah, ja- uh, the jazz tours was, was a, a bus, school bus. Wow. You had your own uh, row. <laughs> you yeah. Had two seats. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, you know, trying to sleep on that on two seats, you're basically sitting, sitting up. And that sums the difference between <laughs> the Well, I mean, I know I toured with Horace Silver mm. when, when he was, you know, we played a lot of stuff and it was all, but it was all, it was a, basically a train tour, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and, a year rail pass. And how was it touring with him? It was, it was great. You know, you realize though, um, it's, uh. It's a real, there was a little bit of a, you know, with, with the group I toured with, we weren't, every, not everybody was real, you know, bonding, it was real close, because you had like a lot of different ages, you had Horace, right. and it was just a different kind of a crowd, and so, and then there was some young, a couple young guys, and I was, what, it was I, 36, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it was a couple guys in their 20s that kind of went out, and it was just not a, a thing where everybody's like really included, and, and you realize how important that is, Yeah. and afterwards... I, you know, I always made it a point to like touring, and then I toured with Vicky Carr. Just make mm. make it a point to uh, always on the road. You know, include everybody. Every time anybody's going to go to dinner, anytime you're doing anything, that's and good. it really helps. It helps musically to have the band really bond. And um, well, there's chemistry in the dressing room. It definitely comes out on stage. Yeah, I mean, and there's a and things can get funny. Um, you know, like if there's anything, I remember that there was a somebody wasn't real happy with how much solo space they were getting mm-hmm. and um and it was just kind of a it was just kind of a weird thing and uh yeah now i i have been on the roads where there were instigators that just tried to churn up you know stuff between other between guys and it's just it's just no there's no yeah, room for I, that I don't out know, there i don't know why uh, but but um it's it just you realize how important it is not to have that. Yeah, definitely. Because when you're, you know, when you're, you know, it's like your family. Yeah. And you have to always be that way. And I mean, some of the people I've been on the road with, I mean, we're close to this day. Like, I, I mean, there's guys, I have a friend, Tom DeLibro. He's in 
Yeah, Vegas. I haven't seen him in 15 years, but we're still, you know. Yeah. I mean, if I could, I'd show up at his door right now, and he would like, uh, you know, if I needed to stay there, he'd put me on the couch. Yeah, oh, that's great. You, you know, I mean, it's just a... I met my illegitimate twin brother from another mother on the road, and we're still best friends, so <laughs> I get it. You, 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 Is he really? A- <laughs> no, it's just we said we were just so much alike that we came up with that okay. phrase, but it was... Uh, it is interesting because who's that? His name's Chris. Somebody Ishi. I know, Chris Ishi. He's a keyboard player. Moved to New Mexico years ago, but uh, if you met him, you'd like him. Anyway, it, it is interesting, and I don't know if people realize it. You're you're thrust into these situations, especially on a bus tour, where you are literally with each other all the time, and bonds grow really quickly, really fast. And uh, it does certainly help if there's no troublemakers or instigators or you and know, you that and sort of also thing. you realize the music isn't isn't that. As much it isn't as important as you think it is, because the music is. I mean, if you're doing a, if you're doing a you know big tour, mm-hmm. you're talking about doing. You're talking about. I mean, like if you're, first of all, if you're doing festivals, you're doing a 45 minute show every yeah. three days. Right. That's not a lot of music to play. Right. Um, but playing you know playing with Horace Silver was was great. Uh, that's really cool. Hey, I'm I was. Take- I remember playing. Oh. We, we did a triple bill with Herbie Hancock. Uh huh. And uh, um. Bob Dylan and Horace. Wow. So Bob plays first. And then he's sitting there and then Herbie and then uh, no Herbie and then Herbie plays. Well Herbie gets off. We're about to go on and they're turning the stage over. And and the director from the poor I can't remember what his name is, Bernard or somebody, he comes and goes, Mr. Hancock, I'm so sorry. We're we're that but uh, Finland does not have any more um Dompering Yom. He was in his writer that every everything mm-hmm. he did. I think he did a solo concert in a, in a you know in an auditorium and and then he but he has this quartet that he's playing with and so every every for every performance in the green room was supposed to be a bottle of either Dom Perignon or Cristal. Mm-hmm. He goes, I'm sorry, Mr. Hancock, but you've drank all the Dom Perignon and Cristal that's in Finland. <laughs> he goes, but but here, please accept this. And they and they had this Charles Krug. Vintage, uh, like 1969 reserve. Wow, <laughs> that, that was in a in a in a walnut box covered in you know velvet, and and it was probably um, now it's, now it's probably a ten thousand dollar bottle of champagne. <laughs> but I mean, I'm looking at it and, and I knew what it was. He goes, Charles Krug. He goes, what's this German shit? I mean, her, her oh said, my god. And he goes, well, like, technically, I don't have to play. Wow. And, uh, and Bob Dylan goes, well, he goes. That's okay. And, and then he pulls out a, the biggest joint I've ever seen. And he goes, man, would you like to get stoned? And he looked, turned to me and asked me if I wanted to get high. And I remember, I, I thought, well, shit, man. Bob Dylan just asked me if I wanted to smoke a joint. I, I should say yes, but I was about to play. And Horace uh-huh. kind of looked at me like, you're going to get high on my gig? You know? <laughs> and uh, so I said no. But I go, well, maybe afterwards. <laughs> but he, he, he didn't hang, hang around. Ah, so wow. I, I never got to smoke a joint with uh, Bob Dylan. It's still a pretty good story. <laughs> I thought so. I, I, you know. That's How many cool. cats have been asked to smoke a joint by Bob Dylan. Yeah, not well, probably a lot, but uh, okay, yeah. but, but not how not, many jazz musicians? Yeah, how many? How many people we know? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, hey, I'm going to take a second and just say hello to some people in the chat room. I normally do this a little bit earlier, but of course, uh, Toby is here. We also have Karen is here, and they they are writing comments. But since I'm in a conversation, I'm not following them all so much. But I think you were telling the story about uh, uh, Freddie Hubbard, and and Karen said, "Yep, that's old school." And uh, Toby has a couple of questions. Did you know, uh, did you, you ever play with Tower Power? 
No. You never. I, I, it's funny, but I got a call to do Tower Power that same summer mm-hmm. um, that I went on the road with Horace Silver. And Tower, and it was, it was funny because it was like the same, almost the same money. And uh, you'd think that it would have been more, but of course it's a much bigger band. Right. And, uh, but who knows, if I'd have taken that gig, maybe I'd still be doing it. But and Horace only. I mean, that tour lasted, uh, you know, sixteen weeks. Yeah, that was the last tour Horace ever did. By the way, wow, that's kind of cool that you get to be there. Uh, and Karen, who also sent the tip in, thank you, Karen, along with Andre, our most consistent fan. He's a guitar player here in town. But Karen asks, uh, says, just says, Doug, you're a you're such a wealth of experience. Hey, do you want to? I know, I know, we're going to do something special playing later. But do you want to play another tune for us, really quick? Ed, no. Ed, Ed, you're, <laughs> Why don't you play that thing that you... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, well, set this up. Tell everybody what this is. Um, well, during the pandemic when nobody could play with anybody, I had this idea of... Uh, I said, why don't you write... So, you know, uh, uh, I'm friends and I play with Lad Macintosh. And um, I have a lot of weird instruments, like uh, sarusophones. Like, I mean, there's almost... There isn't a woodwind I don't, uh, that I don't have almost. Um, I mean, I have uh, all the Renaissance, the Moak historical, if you go Google that, I mean, like all the uh, Baroque instruments, crumb horns, corn amusements, cord holts, these things with, with double reeds. Um, uh, let's see, what else? Sardunes. I, I mean, I have literally tons of those. And then also Mismars and the Egyptian woodwinds, um, Indian Nagas Varam. Uh, how many instruments do you... How many parts are there on this piece? On this one's about, I don't know, 50. Okay. Um, but I did another one that's coming out. We did like 166. Now, we're, but if you, I have to look at how many different instruments I, I have, it's, it's almost, probably about 1,000. Wow, that's amazing. But now, this was not originally written for woodwinds. It was something else, wasn't well, it? Well, no, Lad arranged this. Oh, he did, uh, okay. For, for all, the, all the parts that you see. I changed a couple things. Okay. Um, he he had written the sarusophone parts a little too high, like a little out of their uh, range. Because he had, I mean, nobody writes for sarusophones. Yeah. But on this, I play soprano, alto, tenor, uh, baritone, bass, contrabass, and then a C sub contrabass or or a C contrabass, whatever you want to call it. Cool. That was um, and I've since then I've gotten some more sarusophones wow. from a guy in France that 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 they're like they're better sarusophones. Um, <laughs> But they're really cool. I, I I just like them. They're they're basically like a metal oboe, that that um, with saxophone fingering. So I mean, since I play saxophone, I can play play oh, right. these. Oh, very cool. Uh, but is it the double reed? Yeah, they thing? have a double reed. Okay, that's... it sounds like a cross between a saxophone and a duck. Okay, <laughs> cool. I'm just gonna play a couple of minutes of this. But in the show notes for this, I will put the link up to Lad's thing, and then when. Uh, when you do more of these, we'll put them out in the newsletter that gets out there. So if again, if you're watching this, please like or and thumbs up or follow and whatever the videos that helps us rise these videos to the top because we're just a small little small little jazz uh, broadcast and we, we can use all the help we can get. So, but here this is called Jalistico. I'm, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, it's, it's Lad's original composition. I'm going to play a couple of minutes of this and uh, and here you go. <laughs> Thank you. 
I guess you I could, guess you couldn't find a good place to stop. That's exactly. Oh, let me get the mic on again. I was thinking, I'll just wait till this solo's over. I just had to play the whole thing. And I put the links up in the chat rooms just so you can find them if you, uh, you want to check that out. But save it for later. You know, we'll, we've got a few minutes left here. But I am going to go back and read a couple of comments because there's some new people here. Susan is here, who's a flute player that I know you know, Doug. She says, so great to see Doug do his thing. She's watching from Hollywood. Hillary's watching. Sue Winsberg? Yeah. Oh, tell her. Well, you, you tell her. She's, Hi, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> she said she hasn't been able to see the show before, but I'm glad she she showed up. And a good buddy of mine, I have not talked to in a while, talking about friends you make on the road. Curtis is out there watching from Inglewood. Inglewood, he gives the big thumbs up. He's having a good time. Ed had some great, he's watching from San Diego. And he said, 50 woodwinds never sounded better. And he, beautiful harmony. And this was uh, Lad Macintosh. Now, Lad almost did the Big Band Composer Night we did several months ago, but he wasn't available that night. I definitely want to have him on because he's definitely a creative cat doing a lot of he's cool wonderful, stuff. wonderful musician. Or, or orchestrates for all the great uh, film mm-hmm. composers. Yeah, and his his big band stuff was one of the Actually, first... Actually, he makes the film, those film composers great. <laughs> yeah, he'd really... And his, his just his own creative thing with his big band was always just very unique. And let me see. I don't want to miss anybody. Toby's watching from Encino. Let's see. Terry is... Oh, Terry is waiting for you to do a gig down in OC. You got anything coming up down there? Um, November 11th. At? The Drake. The Drake. Okay, in Terry. Laguna Beach. But I wanted to talk about, you have uh, several albums out under your name as a leader. Yeah, about 20. About 20. So, and you are, I saw, I just did a quick, I have a couple of them. I downloaded on Apple Music. And you've got them all, you've got a newest one out last year, 2020. Can you tell us about that? Who's on it? Um, That's a trio with Andy Mm Sinesi and um, Brian Charette on B3 Organ. Wow. And then we did one on 2020. Actually, I did a three- Three horns, myself, and uh, like three saxophones, and it's kind of a strange combination. But I think it worked. And um, see, I did so I did some you know just three horn. It's it's a three horn thing for another one for Positone. But th- this one's with um, Bob Reynolds, myself, and Greg Osby, alto player who was in town from New York. And that, um, that's not the triple play album, is it? It's it's that was one of the most successful ones I did with them. I love that album. And th- th- that one is with with me and two. It was supposed to be Ralph Bowen and um, uh, Walt Weiskopf. Ralph ended up having to to not be able to do the gig, so we got Brian. Um, um, who's the other? T- uh, anyway, he couldn't do it, so they got um, Joel Fromm. It's amazing how, how, I mean, Joel is a good friend of mine, and, and I, I actually said, well, man, let's get Joel, but he's not on, on Positone label. That's why they wanted Ralph. Ah. But Joel just did a great, amazing saxophone player. From, uh, lives in, actually, I think he moved. I think he might have moved. You know, with the pandemic, a lot of people have moved out of New York. Mm. It, it hit there harder than here. Yeah, definitely, especially at the beginning of that. Uh, so the, the newest album, and you said you've got two more in the can. Who's on those albums? Uh, well, then I have my fusion band. We, we just recorded. Um, the, my fusion band is with a, a drummer named Danny Carey, who plays mm-hmm. with the rock band Tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been playing now for over 10 years. Really? And it's really just a band for the baked potato. And, but we've been doing it like once a month for 10 years now. Wow. And now it's, 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 been, it's so successful that uh, they, we sell out. We do two nights in a row. Wow. We're there. We're coming up. I think, and we have to look at the Big Potato website. We have two gigs 
in, in November, two gigs in December. And then I'm also there November 2nd with, with Dave Binney. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think we're there, I think it's something like the 14th, 15th, or the 15th, 16th, something like that of November. But anyway, the, the band is with uh, um, Jamie Kime, who I know you know from Zappa yeah. Plays Zappa. Uh-huh. Uh, Jimmy Earl, from the, wow. who plays bass in the Jimmy Kimmel Show, and I've known him for years. He, when I first met him, we were both playing in Stanley Clark's group, wow. and he was the second bassist. And um, and uh, Mitch Foreman and uh, and myself and uh, and Danny. That's great. No, it's interesting. And I have to tell you though, it really it's because of Danny's in the band that were so popular. Right. Well, he, yeah, he's very, very, very well known. I mean, but it's a cool band. It's yeah, funny. It's, it's, I, I, it's a fun, fun band. And there's a bar down near the beach that I go to occasionally. I was talking to one of the bartenders. I just, I don't know how it came up, but mentioned the baked potato. And the first thing he says is, "I love the Doug Webb All Stars with Jamie Kime." <laughs> and Good. I thought, well, I know those guys. So okay, <laughs> anyway, that's so, so nice. Yeah, yeah. you've got. No, a- I mean we're we're hugely popular. I mean now, like every. Single single tickets left over at the end sell out. The the t- yeah. the, the patio seats sell out. Oh, I mean, they, no matter what the price, they put fifty dollars a ticket and they sell out wow. both sets. And I, I feel that's great. People want to want me to get them in. I can't even get it. I can't even have any guest list because, or I have to tell them like in a month ahead of time. Hey, look, we got guests, uh, so don't sell the tickets. Like right. as many tickets as they'll put up, they'll sell. Well, that's which awesome. is, is great because as a jazz musician. I've never had any kind of success whatsoever. I mean, I mean, I haven't even been able to get people to come out when it's free. You know, my whole life. You know, I put a great band together. I remember having, God, uh, you know, I remember having Billy Higgins and Art Davis wow. and uh, Horace Tapscott, and and we're playing somewhere and it's free, and and you know you can't even you know can't even get people to to come out. It's tough out there, but I mean, that's some people come, of course. So but. when is that album being released? I don't know. So you still- we might do it ourselves, which case I'm just horrible at getting that done. Right. I was. Uh, I have a label that wants it, but they don't really want to pay for it. Ah. So, um, and 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 Danny said, well, you know, he can get uh, like Tool kind of has their own label. So we got we just have to figure figure out how we're going to. Re- I think we're going to release it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But since I've never done that before, and I'm. It's like every day I have a hundred other things to do. I get it. Uh, and, yeah. But it's recorded. It's finished. It, it, it's, uh, Danny's having somebody master it. Oh, good. The same guy that mastered Tool's records. Wow. Very I, cool. I, I think it's a good record, though. And then what's the other album out? The other one is, the, is the one I did. That it's, it's like oh. Triple Play 2. Okay. You know, the, the one I said with Bob Reynolds. And, and that's coming out on Positone. And it's coming out in January on, on Positone. They were going to release it. In October, but by the time by the time that it gets any radio play, it's almost time for Christmas music. Right. You know, because it takes about four weeks to get in heavy rotation, five six weeks. So by the time Thanksgiving hits, I mean they weren't going to release it till the end of October, and I just said no, let's wait till January because the last two they released that time of year never made it to the top of the Jazz Week. Ah, right. And the ones I did that were released in January through March. I mean, I had one that was like number four, which was, I mean, even, you know, for a week anyway, mm-hmm. but, and, and they've all been top 10. Most of them were top 10, but the last one I did, uh, th- this last one I did, because it was released in the end of October, yeah. it, it just never did anything. And by January, it's like an old record. Right, right, and right. So, and that's really the first you can really seriously have, the, the label can really seriously try to do any serious like radio promotion. Mm-hmm. 
I get it. Uh, but that's cool. We look for it. And when they're out, let me know. I'll put it in the newsletter so people can find it. We already have some people here. So uh, Ed said he can't wait for Triple Play 2 and the Web All-Stars. And Curtis says that's a good problem to have, <laughs> you know, those problems. But uh, And uh, Susan says she'll be there on the 2nd. So, but well, we're getting kind of close to the end. I mean, I feel like we could sit here all night. So, when I do Sax Night 2, because you, you had a gig, you were op- the, doing the grand reopening of the Baked Potato on uh, the way we did Sax Night 1. Uh, that was the first show that they did when they were open again, I think it was you guys. Oh, yeah. Several months ago. But we do that too. We'll have to have you back on. Yeah, you, it was you, the second, the, the whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, right now, do you, do you want to play something? You want, you want to do well, a I'm thing? Well, I'm with you. Okay. So this is, uh, this is not anything I planned. Doug said, hey, let's play something together. And I never get to play on this show. So I thought, hey, what the heck? Let me see if I can find that camera. That uh, There it is. So I'm going to go into the studio. Now, we think it's balanced. <laughs> we have nobody in here controlling it. So we're just going to hope for the best. And I do have to turn off our vocal mics. Otherwise, the room gonna, sound gets a little weird. I'm going to unplug this one. Yeah, just unplug that one. I'll mute mine. And uh, we'll, uh, we're going to go play a tune for you. And then, then we'll be back and we'll say our farewells. But uh, thank you, everybody out there uh, who's been in the chat rooms. It's been a really fun night. And thank you for those people that tipped. If you're watching an archive, you can still tip. Every little bit helps put the show on. goes to the artists you see. And, uh, but here we're going to go play a tune, okay? Uh, three, two, one. I'm going to turn this mic off. Thank you. 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you out there. So uh, we had to do. Uh, that was so much fun, Doug. Thank you. It was fun. That was uh, nice to. Man, it's just the way you turn the phrase and push and pull the changes. I don't know how to describe it, but it was just something really cool and very special about that. So, but I think we're going to kind of wrap it up unless there's something else you want to talk about. Uh, or should we save it for the next show? Just jazz is in, is in a good place right now. Everything, you know, positive outlook on the world and life. And if you want to be happy, remember, be grateful. That's a great, that's a great point. I, I love everybody that's come on has had some great, simple thing to say at the end of it. And that's a really good one way to end it. So I'm just going to say thank you for everybody here. I'm going to play the outro. Good night. Thanks for joining us at Live at Zero BPM. These videos we archived on YouTube and Facebook, so tell your friends. These Jazz Roundtable shows will also be released as a podcast, so please subscribe. Go to live at zeroppm.com for details and to sign up for our mailing list. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon.